Have you ever noticed your credit score go up or and go down a lot? Like, do you find it hard to improve your credit? Well, in this episode, we go into why credit is even here in the first place, how it's calculated, and three ways we can improve our credit score. Let's go. Welcome everyone to the latest edition of Wallet Talks Podcast, where we are exploring ways to have better conversations about money so we can make better decisions with our money. I am your host, Jason Alexander. Have you been wondering how to get your money right? Stressing every month with never-ending lists of financial demands? Or are you just tired of not knowing where all your money is going? Did you know that Wallet Coach has a solution? Wallet Coach offers one-to-one coaching sessions to get your money back into shape. Wallet Coach was formed to help everyday people get financially secure and free by teaching a four-step approach to money management. Our favorite testimony is one client who saved up $1,000 as an emergency fund within six months while only making $1,800 a month. If you are curious how Wallet Coach can help you in similar ways, Sign up for a free 15-minute consultation on our website, thewalletcoach.com. That's thewalletcoach.com. Or text the word COACH to 470-606-8949 to get a link to schedule. Now back to the show. Well, guys, I am super excited to be here for this episode where we're actually talking about something that is, I think, of a, an enigma in our culture, and that's credit. Why I say that? Because I was never taught specifically, like I'm about to break it down here, why credit is important in America and how it is essential to progressing financially, whether you use debt or don't. Credit, believe it or not, is a major contributing factor to your financial well-being. It is calculated when you're trying to rent a home, try to buy a home, buy a car, even it is still it is even calculated or leveraged when sometimes when you're being employed. So credit can really mess you up or set you up. So let's get into the day. Um, got a lot of tips I want to talk about, but also some some, some fundamentals so that we can better uh, prepare ourselves. Because listen, check this out. Did you know that about 54% of black Americans report having no credit or a poor to fair credit score, which is considered to be any score below 640? According to a recent survey of 5,000 U.S. adults by Credit Sesame, in addition, about 41% of Hispanic Americans report fall into this same category. While in contrast, 37% of white Americans report having bad or no credit, and only 18% of Asian Americans report similar credit circumstances. And you're probably thinking to yourself, What's different between my group of people and that group of people? 
And I thought to myself, you know what? It's probably because this, it's probably the same situation. I said to myself, it's probably because they were given better information. I believe it's because mostly we have been miseducated or uneducated about the use of credit and how it functions and how to not just know what the fundamentals are, but how to play the game. Because if it's an equation, there's a there's a methodology to improving the score in your favor. Are we taught that all the time? No, especially not at a young age when we're very moldable, right? We learn it after making several mistakes and our credit score is way below the 640 that they taught that what the article mentioned as below 50 um below fair which the article just described as being below fair or poor so what is it then and why do we even have credit why do we even have this whole thing about having to leverage someone else's uh, opinion about us to advance our own financial situation. I thought it was, you're in America, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, it's all about what you do. And that is true, it is It is a lot of, a lot of advancement in American society is through our own personal hard work and efforts. However, however, it's becoming greatly dependent or it's becoming more and more evident that you're going to need the approval of someone else to get you to where you want to go in some situation. You might say to yourself, wait a minute, I don't need anyone approval to get here or there. Uh, yeah, you do. Think about it. If you wanted to get into a membership, you had to get approved. If you wanted to get into that college, you had to get approved. And it wasn't approval from your parents. It was approval from people external from your circle. And what is the best way for them to, or people outside of your circle, to approve you? Well, they have to get to know you. Think about it. When you had college applications, they had you write essays about yourself. They had you bring in report cards, you know, extracurricular activities. They had to build up a rapport or a profile with you and that takes time i know it takes time i remember doing college application or membership applications and they were very time consuming and it's probably why i didn't get a lot of scholarships because i didn't want to waste well to me it seemed like it was a waste of time but looking back it's not so if people are necessary to help bridge us from one financial situation to another because through their opinion of us our actions have to be such where when they look at us, there's a sense of, okay, this person is what, trustworthy, dependable, uh, and all of that. Now, when it comes to money, it takes it even further. It's like, they call it, are they credit worthy? Are they worthy, worthy of me giving them X amount of dollars? And are they trustworthy? Uh, dependable to pay that back and so from the the lenders or underwriters perspective they're saying how risky is it to give this person this money because the risk is 
how am I, I'm not getting it back. Now, we all know when we lend to our families and friends that that is a very high probability that you will not get it back. I said to myself plenty of times when I'm lending money, it's like, am I going to get this back? Mm, Probably not. And I got that way of thinking from a friend who told me, listen, Jay, you know, if you want to give, don't don't borrow money, just give it. I mean, don't don't lend money out, just give it. And I was like, why? I mean, they, they gave they asked for it, they should be able to pay it back. It's like, listen, it's gonna give you a whole lot more peace of mind if you're willing to give someone money when they ask for it versus lending it to them because um you put yourself in a position that if the money never comes back, it doesn't hurt you. When you start to lend to someone else uh, a critical amount of money that is uh, critical to your success or your financial well-being, saying like someone needs $50 and your light bill is 75 and you was going to use that for your light bill, and now you just hurt yourself because now you got to come up with the extra come up with the difference to pay your light bill you probably say well i'll take the sacrifice of having the lights come off because i started playing the the payment game like or the 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 cutoff time timeline well if i miss it on the 15th they're not going to really report it until the 20th and then when they report it it takes another five days before they come and actually turn the power off so i got another 15 i got 10 to 15 days so joe so joe better have my money when the next 15 days that anguish and that, all of that right there, that sophistication, if you would just, it's not necessary. If you would, if we would just, you, if you would just say, I'm not going to give this money if I cannot afford to lose it, you wouldn't have to think about that. However, what do the underwriters and lenders think? They actually go through this calculation. Now, if I give it to Joe, will Joe be able to pay me back in this X amount of days and if not, how can I get the money back from them and all these different things. So I get this, I got to saw that by working in um, a financial institution as an auditor and I got to see how these underwriters think and how they prepare for those bad jokers like Joe who don't pay and they put allowance account, they, they put an allowance or allotment for losses for loans, because they know that some loans are not going to, despite their best efforts, these people will have circumstances that's not going to help them. So really the credit score and the whole concept of credit was to, it wasn't for the everyday person's um, well-being. The credit score was created to help lenders and underwriters make a better and quicker and easier, well, yeah, better, quicker, easier assessment of someone's what is called credit worthiness. It is a quantitative number that can be a symbol of someone's trust and dependability. So they had to come up with and it's fairly recent. I had to come up with a formula to get to this numerical value, the quantitative value. And it's been like that since, guess this, 1955-ish. So the credit score hasn't been around that much. And it was created by, let me look it up here, two people. 
So credit scores were created in 1956, according to this article by Business Insider, by Bill Fair and Earl Isaac. The name FICO is is an amalgamation of their names, Fair, Isaac, and Company. And it says credit scores, much like standardized testing in schools, were meant to simplify the decision-making process for loan approvals. And on its surface, credit scoring appears to be race-neutral formula. However, in practice, the tool embedded an already existing racial bias further into our financial system. This is from the Business Insider. What is the credit gap? I, I agree that you take Bill, Bill Fair and Earl Isaac, I don't think they were people of the black and brown community. And they didn't have the perspective, not to say they were inherently like racist or anything, but I would suspect that they didn't get a perspective from the economic circumstances of the black and brown community uh, when they came up with how to create this formula for so they can, so that they could get this scale credit worthiness. Because remember, before, when you think back to like a college application, for you to get approval to go into this school, you had to give the administration a profile of yourself. You had to build a profile, tell them about your history, tell them about this and tell them about that. Well, and with this formula, someone is calculating that quicker and to take the time to evaluate each individual person on a one-to-one -one basis to determine their credit worthiness is very time consuming. So if we can automate that to some extent where we can plug in their social security number and get a score, which has all that history already, then instead of me taking 30 days to get to understand the person's credit worthiness, it takes me 30 seconds to get a good, to get a reasonable understanding of what their credit worthiness is. So it was really, it was meant again to scale credit credit worthiness for underwriters. So we get this background history and understanding so we can understand the purpose of why the credit score was even formulated, right? So then, because if we if you understand the purpose of a thing, we can better understand how to use a thing despite uh, what is its name or whatever shape or form it comes in. And the credit score itself has evolved and has, diff has started to become more, a little bit more inclusive um, for example, Experian, which is one of the credit reporting agencies, has started to use rental payments and streaming service payments to help in the determining factors for the credit score. But now what is the credit score? The credit score is a calculation that's made of five elements that I'm going to go through. And that those five elements are weighted. What does that mean? That each element is has a certain level of importance or impact to the score and not all of them are created equal. So, for example, if there were four elements to be equally weighted would be 25, 25, 25, 25, 25. Um, in this situation, that's not the case. So let's get into it. The so five elements of your credit score is number one your payment history. 
Your payment history is 35% of your score. Number two is, um, is utilization of your debt, the amount of debt that you have. That's 30% of your score. So the first, so the first 65% of your score deals with how you pay and what you use. What you pay and how you use it. 65% of that goes into your score calculation and impacts your score. So if you have bad payment history or you're not paying on time or you're not paying in full, that affects your, that affects your score. If, and I fall into this trap many a times, if you don't, if you overutilize your debt, it affects your score. Like, what do you mean overutilize? That's what it's for. If, you, if I get a credit card, I'm, if I use the credit, that's, that's what I'm using it for. Like, I'm using it because I need it. Well, you got to think of reverse psychology. Because you always got to think of, not reverse psychology, but you got to think in reverse. You got to think of it from the underwriter's perspective and future underwriter's perspective. Because this is a forward-looking prediction of your credit worthiness. So think about it. If the lender looks at you and you have maxed out your credit card and you're going to go to him and say, can I get another one because I need the money? He's going to look at you and say, well... You have a very high utilization, and if you're going to have a high utilization with your four credit cards that you already have, you're probably going to have one with me, and then I become fifth in line to being paid off. That's a lower, that's a much, much riskier proposition for the underwriter to say yes to you because now they're like, instead of me being first, because everybody want to be paid first, everybody, if Joe owes me some money. I'm saying, Joe, pay me first. I don't care about your mother, your daughter, your food, your dog. I need to pay, be paid first. That's what, it's, in, it's innate in everyone who, who wins money. If you give money and someone owes you, you're like, oh, hey, you need to pay me back. It's only $5. It's only $25. Come on, bro. So the same thing with the lenders. They're thinking like, yo, you're probably not going to, I'm not going to be number one on your list if you're already kind of strapped with the other four people. So utilization is central. It's really, really important. 30, 30% of your score on top of your payment history. Because I can tell you this, if you're overutilizing your, your, your credit lines or your debt, you're probably not able to make, it's, it's because you're not able to make your full uh, payment amount or your saving amount. And what I mean by overutilization, and I'll give you a little tip here. Because I said, remember, it's forward thinking. Uh, the, the credit score is a forward look into your credit worthiness. If you get a $1,000 credit card, the credits, the, the lenders are looking for you not to have 80% of that used up. They're looking for you, and they say a sensible person would, who's understanding their, their, their debt, is only using get this, 30% or less of their limit. So if you have a $1,000 limit, they're only expecting you to get this, use only $300. But Jay, 
I know you think to yourself, Jay, I got a $1,000 limit. Why can't I buy something for $500? I'm not saying you can't buy anything for $500. What I'm saying is, and here's a trick that we'll get into some tips, is that when your credit when, when your credit card gets reported to the credit reporting agency, because that's their whole purpose is to collect data, they're going to use that data, what your balance is versus what your limit, and do a comparison and see what your utilization is and say 500 compared to 1,000, this person is using 50% of their credit limit. Starting to pick up there to high leverage, high utilization. Try to keep your utilization lower than 30%. Probably make it 15% of meaning that your statement balance at the end of the month is 15% of your statement balance uh, of your credit limit. Your statement balance is 15. Your statement balance is the equivalent of 15% of your limit. 15 to 30% of your limit. All right. Number three of the five elements of your credit score: length of time in debt length of time which is 15 percent so again well so the longer you keep your debt the longer you've been able to in in the lender's mind been able to manage this debt over a long period of time means that you've been you're 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 a good person to be in a relationship with that i can build off you that you're going to be with me for a long time it shows loyalty it shows what is what else they like dependability, right? Oh, you've been in a relationship for seven years. Yeah, yeah. I know you girls are like, yeah. When you hear a guy say, "I've been in a relationship," uh, my last relationship was three months, and then before that it was five months, and before that was was two months. You're gonna look at that guy and be like, uh, buddy, I'm probably gonna be a short term relationship too. Same thing with the lenders. They're like, oh, so so this credit card, this person, this lender, you, you, you had an average of six months relationship with them. I, I'm giving you a, a, I'm trying to give you a card for seven years. I don't think you can commit to seven years of relationship. <laughs> that's, that's what they're thinking. Like, I don't think you can commit to a seven year relationship with me. I, so, you know what? If even if I have, uh, an inkling of hope that you can deal with this relationship, I'm going to make it much more lucrative for me and to compensate for my risk. So I'm going to give you a higher interest rate. And that's what we have. We have, we have fallen into that, that profile of being risky because we have shortened the length of time on paper with our debt. We've been dealing with, as black and brown community, we have de- we have dealt with debt for a long, long time and we have a long history with it, but we keep breaking off because when we break off, we try to break off. Like, hey, I know I did it. When I pay off my credit card before and I was like, I'm gonna be, I'm debt free. I cut every single credit. I didn't want any credit card or credit item on my credit report and I closed all those accounts. Some of my ca- I had for previously, previously from that like ten years, and when my mind shift shifted to wanting to use credit, especially to to purchase our home, it was like Jason, you don't have any, uh, you don't have any long term uh, history. I was like, what? 
yeah, I had I had the credit card. That's what like, no, they're closed, so I don't see it anymore. Like, what do you mean you don't see it anymore? You close, uh, they said, Jason, you closed the account, so it's no longer reporting and contributing to your length of time uh, score. And I'm like, what? But I've had credit cards for like 15 years. Yeah, you had some, but now you cut that relationship off. You can't count that no more, especially if it's not ongoing. Like, dang, so that's how it's played. So right now, I had to rebuild that that history. My longest credit card is my average credit, my average length of of relationship with a credit um, lender is a year and six months right now. I know it's sad, but so that hurts in some of my scores. Number four, the amount of new debt created, ten percent. And number five, the type of debt you 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 create is another 10%. So folks, you have full repeat. So I'm gonna repeat this folks. The five elements of your credit scores. Number one, payment history at 35%. Number two, the amount of debt you use, your utilization, 30%. Number three, length of time in debt or length of time you have a relationship with creditors. Ongoing, present tense, not in the past, but present. It's 15%. Number four, how often are you creating new debt? Because if you create too much new debt too frequently, it's like, oh, you, something's going on with you. Why are you, why are you dating all these people? Right? A woman would say, why are you dating all these people? Like, do you just have like another date? Why you got like, mm, you kind of risky, ain't you? All right. Number five, type of debt you use. What kind of person are you dating? You going out with the weed head guy all the time and you, you, you know, it says something about you. <laughs> you going to these payday lenders all the time as you're and these are all the people that's on your list. It says something about you. Yeah, but that's my situation. I understand that. But you also have to understand their situation. They're looking at you got to you have to put yourself in their shoes to understand how you can get approval from them. Can't look at it from your side, your side of the equation anymore. You have to look at it from their side. You go into the payday lender. They're like, uh, she's going with the dope boy this week. Next week, she's going with the weed head guy. And then the last week, she uh, she went with Mr. Peabody. All right. She got one Mr. Peabody in her life. Maybe she's starting now. Yeah, but, you know, there goes, oh, next next month, dope boy. So it's kind of risky. And uh, Mr. Wright is going to be like, ah, I don't think I want to deal with that drama of your past. <laughs> so number five, type of debt used. Okay. So those are your five elements, my friends. Five elements. Number one, payment history. Number two, debt utilization. Number three, length of time in debt. Or your debt relationship. Number four, the number of new, most recent debt you created. And number five, the type of debt you take on. All right. So with that being said, which was great for me, um, I hope you got a lot of that. What are some tips on how to improve? Right? What are some tips on how to improve? Well, there's three. Remember, you got to put one. This is outside of, this is a bonus before I give you the three tips. 
remember, put ourselves in the perspective of the lender. How are they going to perceive me? How are they going to perceive my credit worthiness? And again, before I give you these tips, I probably never said this, so I don't know why I just say it again. This is a long-term play. This is not a quick fix. It didn't, my pastor used to tell me, you didn't, you didn't get in your mess overnight, and it's not going to be overnight to get out of it. So it's not going to be overnight, but if you apply these three things, it should go quicker, and it should than normal, and it should improve. That's the main thing. You're looking for improvement. You're looking for, for progress, and you have to have the mindset to see the beauty and in small incremental changes and celebrate those. It's not, hey, taking one base hit at a time. You know, one chess move at a time. It's not like you're trying to jump all five chess pieces at once. That's not always the case. If you put yourself in that position to do that, that's great. If you put yourself in position and you practice to hit a home run on the first swing, that's great. But let's focus on getting on base first. Just getting one hit. All right. So the three things you need to improve your credit score starting today is number one, automate your Payments. Automate your payments. What does that mean? Well, remember, the number one element, the highest rated element in your credit score is your payment history. So if you're considering yourself, if you see yourself overwhelmed with payment history, well, not payment history, if you see yourself overwhelmed with paying off so many different obligations and sometimes you forget that, oh, I forgot about this credit card over here that. It's like $5, but it's uh, I just missed it. Every single time you miss a due date, it's a bad situation for you. It dings you 35%. It impact that, it, that negative incident has a 35% impact. How do you fix that? Well, if you have all of your payment obligations automated, to pay on the due date or before the, well, really before the due date so that you can have some buffer. You don't have to be as conscionable as managing your money from time to time. That's honestly one of the things that we're trying to do. One of my goals this year is to create more automation with all of our finances. That's including not just rent, but utilities, car payments and things of that nature, even tithes. Like automate this as much as possible so that less of my mental power is going towards figuring out who to pay when. If I have that already set up and create a system, I don't have to think about it and I can put my energy in something more uh, creative and be creative and be more thoughtful, be more strategic and forward looking versus reactionary. So automate your payments. All right. It's paying what you owe when, when, when you owe them, okay? Paying what you owe when you owe it, right? Number two, if you want to really improve your situation and you're, because you're in a bad situation, here's a, one hack is to, number two, become an authorized user on someone who has great credit. We already said what great credit is. We know 640 is not great credit, so... Do you know someone who has 740? Get on, ask them to be an authorized user. 
ask them, say, look, I don't want to get a credit card. I just want to be associated with you. You know, it's kind of like sometimes it's the opposite of being guilty by association. It's the opposite of that, right? It's like you're, 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 you're leveraging the association with, of a good person to, to your benefit versus the opposite situation. So if I'm associating with yourself with, say, my parents, and actually this happened with Tiffany, her parents, when she was first in college, they allow her to be an authorized user on their uh, American Express, I believe, or, or whatnot, whatever credit card it was. They allowed her to have the car and to, to use it for emergencies and things like that, but they made sure that it was paid off. Their good habits were projected as if it was Tiffany's habits. And so when Tiffany branched off and became her own entity, she had that credit history and performance of a good creditor just because she was listed as an authorized user. Because the lender only sees that there's Jason and son on the card. They see that, but what they also see, they don't see as two separate people. They see it as those people, we. They don't see it as Jason made, made correct payments or on-time payments. It's, they look at it as we use the card correctly and appropriately. So whoever's associated with me, we as a group, it's not individual anymore, are using it appropriately because in, their, in the lender's mind, it's like we're coming together to jointly manage this debt arrangement. So, so number two, become an authorized user with someone with great credit. You inherit, you inherit the performance of someone with good credit habits. And then number three, pay off your statements. Pay off your statements. Pay off your statements monthly, right? So what do I mean by that? Just like with payment history, paying on time, like, okay, you got the statement date, you pay before the statement due date. That's great. But we want to pay it off. Pay it off. Whatever you borrow, you pay it off. If you can't do that, okay, maybe do the minimum payment. But in this scenario, to improve your score, pay it off. When do you pay it off is the key. So, for example, you want to pay off after your statement date, but before your due date. So, what does that mean? When you get your, you don't want to pay your credit card off with the $25 that you use for your gym membership, right? That's the only thing you have on there. And, and you already have that automated. Set the automation to pay off the membership on after the statement date. So the statement date, say they issue a statement via, via mail or email on the 20th of every month and they give you 10 business days or 10 days to pay it uh, to, to have it paid off. So that's 10 days later, that's the 30th. So in between the 20th and which is the statement date and the, the 30th, which is the due date, you want to pay your card off. Because what that shows is, okay, they had an amount, they had a balance, right? So that helps with your utilization score. Say, okay, they use something. However, <clears throat> hopefully it's under 30%, that balance is. However, they paid it on time before the due date came. And thus, 
manage their their credit card appropriately. Does that make sense? I hope it does. So I'll say it one more time. Pay off your credit cards in full, but pay them off in this sequence. Pay it off after the statement has been released, after the statement date, but before the due date. Okay? So if you do those three things, I think you are going to see your score definitely increase. It may not be swift, but it will definitely be steady. And we're not looking for like the get rich quick scheme. We're looking for steady progress. All right. So take that. I hope it helps. And just know that credit can be used if you have the right education in an appropriate way. There's no, there's nothing inherently bad or disadvantageous to the black and brown community as it relates to credit. It's if we maybe have never had the appropriate education to leverage it as other communities have. So hopefully this gives us that leg up a little bit. Share it with someone that you think can benefit from it. But remember, it's not what you make. It's what you do with what you make. So go out there, make some changes. Because to change your mind, to change your wallet, to change your life, 